welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast with Dan and Paul. Today is episode one, and we'll be discussing new creation theology. Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast with Dan and Paul. This is episode one, um, a slight introduction of who we are. My name is Paul. Um, I'm the pastor at the First Congregational Church in Belding, Michigan, and maybe you have no idea what Belding, Michigan is, but that's just north of Grand Rapids. Um, it's the United Church of Christ Church, and um, I'm here with Dan. Yeah, I'm husband, father. I have chickens, so micro farmer, I guess. I love the Lord. Yeah, that sounds really hokey. But it was, yeah, hokey works. Like, yeah. like we said earlier, podcasts can be hokey. Yep. And awkward, because right now they're awkward. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, why beer and Bible podcast? That's a good question. Well, I think we really wanted to try. Um, taking what we do on a larger scale with our beer and Bible meetings, kind of focus it in, direct the conversation a little more um, to provide both a resource for people in our communities, but anybody else who's listening in. Um, and we both seem to get along. So. Well, we both like beer. So yeah. That, beer and Jesus. Which is why we needed to have beer as part of our podcast. Hmm. Definitely. So I guess that's enough for introductions. We're just going to jump right into this. And we're going to start with a text from Isaiah chapter 65. Yeah. So it says, starting in verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. And her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall live long enough to enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So yeah, that's a pretty crazy prophecy that somehow a wolf and a lamb will one day be able to graze the fields together. And it's also one of those scriptures like you will hear in church and you're like, Whoever preaches from any of this. Yeah. Yeah, I've probably heard a few bad messages on it. <laughs> Hopefully mean, not from me. No, not from you. Um, 
this opening passage for behold I create new heavens and new earth um, that is really where the idea of new creation starts and I think it is born out of this idea that sometimes we look at the earth around us and it's so screwed up we can't see a way forward mm-hmm. and ruthless trust and hope in God um, means we have to find a way forward and sometimes that looks like if this doesn't work, there's going to be something new, that God might have to make something new. Um, that doesn't mean destroy the old. It just means that he's going to have to do something totally new. So how would you define new creation theology if you were to summarize it? I think what the um, early Christians did is they took this passage And they believed that the new creation in ancient Jewish eschatology, meaning like what they thought would happen in the end times, they believed that once the Messiah came, the dead would be raised and it would launch a new creation in which God dwells with man. And that was a very important view to them. That was their hope, uh, just much as Christians hope for um, a new creation with Jesus someday. Um, they had the same hope, only the Christians have reinterpreted those passages around Jesus. Um, so is it a hearkening back, do you think, to the Genesis where God and man walked together? And we have that ability, would, would, we argue together, I guess, that yeah. we have the ability now that as Christ has come, that the new creation is that we are once again able to walk with God and be active participants in the recreation of the present, not only something in the distant future. Yeah, I'd say that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, if you want to, Paul, why don't you read the passage in John that we're we're wanting to talk about? Uh, Because this really launches the gospel narrative. So in the opening chapters of John, we see new creation all over the place. So this is um, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, uh, and it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A lot of times people use that passage to say that Jesus was in the garden in Genesis 1, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what you hear a lot. Yeah. Have you ever preached that? I have. I'm guilty of preaching a sermon okay. like that. Yeah. That in the beginning, God, would, Jesus himself was there in the garden creating with God. There's actually a lot of cool Google images of white hippie Jesus doing that. I Google those. You Jesus, actually Google Jesus those. with naked people. <laughs> actually, don't. Please don't Google that. Jesus with naked Yeah, that you might not. Yeah, not with kids around. No, but the, the neat thing about this is it talks about the light shining in the darkness and the darkness not overcoming it. Right, which flies in the face of all ancient Semitic cultures in which the night and the day were in constant battle. Um, you know, one would overpower the other day after day. It was an eternal battle mm-hmm. from their perspective. And in a lot of ancient pagan beliefs, they believed that the darkness or night was somehow dark and evil. And the sun god was usually the favored god of any culture. So, so every twelve hours there was this yeah. battle that went on, and they would just keep right. trading yeah. punches, perpetual conflict. So, yeah, 
Um, so John starting his gospel this way is almost to highlight that those days are over. There's now a light that will not be conquered by the darkness. And the neat thing is, I mean, we're not going to probably get this later, but in Revelation where it said there's no need for the for the sun because it's, I mean, God's there. The light is there constantly. Right, yeah. Revelation harkens back to this as well. Yep. The passage in Genesis that this kind of parallels is uh, found Genesis 1, verse 3 through 5, and it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That refrain is the refrain that comes after each day of creation throughout the Genesis narrative. So even in Genesis 1, when everything is ideal, there's still this constant darkness overcoming light, light taking back over darkness. So even woven into God's good creation is this struggle. So why would John now reinterpret everything to say that Jesus is now the light that will never be overcome by the darkness? You know, that, I think, is what new creation is all about, is this idea that somehow the world is fundamentally different because Jesus raised from the dead. And the fundamental difference is the fact that the light is winning. Exactly. That, that light is here, light is always here now, and that the darkness doesn't have to win anymore. Right. It doesn't look like that usually, though, if you watch the news. <laughs> but it, yes. No, it doesn't. But we have now that ability to not have to fall into the darkness anymore. Right. Or yeah. go by the ways of, the, of darkness. Yeah, so there's a lot that goes with, there's a lot that ties into that. If we are living in a new creation, um, as I believe John is saying, there's a lot I don't want to say baggage because it's good news, but there's a lot of ideas that flow along with that. It means that the Messiah has come and that the resurrection of the dead has begun already. It means things like we shouldn't be, um, there's a passage in Isaiah that says, you know, they're not going to make tools of war anymore or learn to do battle anymore because they won't need to because God is going to be ruling over all the nations. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot that goes with this idea of new creation. And the, the, the unique thing is with, when we talk about the darkness and the light and we talk about division among humanity, the division between people is what um, really causes that strife and that darkness to, to manifest. And that goes back to like the Tower of Babel, where man is trying to be like God and trying to build um, the tower up to be with God. And God throws language in there and screws everybody up. And we, I, I, I I see that as um, when man tries to do what he thinks is right, that darkness prevails. Mm-hmm. That's really what the first original sin was, was this idea that, um, yeah, we're supposed to rule um, over creation. God gave man dominion over it, but they decided to rule it their way. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than God's way. And I, I, you did a, a, a sermon recently, I heard, where you were talking about how Adam and Eve, after the curse, Adam and Eve and um, Abel chose not to live the life of the curse, where Cain chose to live the curse because he was working the ground. Yeah, so, the, yeah, because the curse was that you'd have to farm the ground and by the sweat of your brow you'd, you know, crawl through life struggling. Yeah. But Adam and Eve and Abel um, were told 
We're told a lot about Adam and Eve, those first couple verses after the fall, that they are giving thanks to God for their kids. As they're being born, they're um, excited to still follow God. They're still hearing from God, apparently. And then uh, even Cain doesn't seem surprised when God starts talking to him right after he murdered his brother. So it's like the relationship with God is still close in those first couple chapters after the fall. But really, Abel's the one that says... He's going to continue taking care of the sheep and everything and living on as God created the world, whereas Cain thinks, what can I get out of this earth? What can I make for myself? Um, Which is why his name means possession and why his offering was not accepted and Abel's was. And that brings a whole different dynamic to the idea of new creation and old creation, the whole idea of power, possessions, materialism, and all that, and the way of... Christ compared to our way, our culture, our yeah. culture. I mean, and the the thing with the with the story of, of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and then you see that you like you said they both heard from God, mm-hmm. but then you come to a Tower of Babel where people aren't necessarily hearing from God anymore, but they're still striving to striving to get to God or be like Him. So yeah. you have that huge, you have that change between the generations there. Yeah, it was almost like I believe it says something along the lines of. They said that they wanted to make a name for themselves. You know, it's like, we can be like God still. Yeah. But um, you bring up Babel, and if we jump back to the New Testament, that brings up a really cool point. So the first time we really see this new creation supernaturally breaking into the old, other than the resurrection. I mean, Jesus being resurrected is the fundamental pivot, you know, that we're talking about. This is when everything changed. Yeah. The morning that Christ was raised— is what starts this whole narrative to begin with. But if we get to Acts chapter 2, you know, God sends the Holy Spirit, which is a parallel to Genesis um, when God creates man and breathes his spirit into them, Um, the Holy Spirit being breathed onto the disciples. And then Peter goes out and he gives this really awesome message and everybody hears him in their own native tongue. So we almost have this reversal of Babel happening. And I had read that hundreds of times. Um, I grew up in a charismatic church, so um, I always thought that tongues was just, you know, a prayer language. But the first instance of tongues in the Bible is really this moment in which God is supernaturally transcending the curse, transcending the division of languages of people's and drawing all people to himself for a moment in time. It's almost as if two realities are temporarily intersecting. Yeah. And yeah. It's it's a really powerful image. And what, what I would say is that the early church is trying to get this point across, like, look, new creation is happening. This is a supernatural occurrence of how that's taking place. And we may not see many of those moments currently, but... The reality is that they wanted us to carry on this belief that there is a new creation. Do you think that we might, uh, I guess I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of why we don't see stuff <laughs> like that anymore right now. But then the, the, going back to what you said about the resurrection of Jesus kind of being that cornerstone, that first supernatural evidence of this idea of new creation, the idea of overcoming death, which is kind of go, going back to Genesis 1, the curse. Mm-hmm. Like we, you're going to be born to die and pay taxes. Mm-hmm. When he's resurrected, we find that he's resurrected and he's in, the, in, a, in a garden. 
Right. Yeah. And then they say that he is, they marry, mistakes him for a gardener. And mm-hmm. that's what humanity was given the order or what they were told to do. Um, sorry, the command they gave for God was to uh, rule over creation and kind of basically yeah. be the gardener. And Jesus yeah. is doing that again. Yeah. They're confused for that. Right. Yeah. He was confused as the gardener. And the idea that man's original purpose is to take care of creation and to be fruitful and multiply is something that the church needs to readopt. Yeah. Um, by and large, that was our original commandment. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, in essence, it's going back to taking care of what God gave us. Yeah. And it's not the seeking of power, which we as humanity like to do. We like to be right. the ones in control, but it's the idea of being, of overseeing what God has blessed us with. Yeah. And when we, I think if we, when we start to take this that seriously, and this can be another episode really, is what does that look like when it comes to consumerism, materialism, and all that? Is it, what's the Christian way of living in the new creation? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is going to be, it's going to have to be our second episode because I think what what we talk about here and really what we'd like to get across is the idea that there is not only a lot of evidence that the church is trying to teach us about a new creation, um, which goes all the way back to these ideas in Isaiah and then is carried through to Revelation, um, but that it should be a central part of our Christian beliefs, that it should interact with our day-to-day living, this idea that we are somehow a part of this new creation that is currently breaking into the old one. And I think the the thing for the church and for Christianity in general, when we get this hold of this idea of new creation, our faith no longer becomes this get out of hell free card. It's become right. something that has to take place. That's something that we participate in right now. And the Apostle Paul refers to that as um, being ministers of reconciliation, seeing that we have been reconciled. There's that new hope of that new creation that there is mm-hmm. a reconciliation not only of creation but of humanity. Yeah. In Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, there's that passage. Everybody's going to recognize it once I start reading it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And you, we see throughout Scripture that the comparisons of day and night, light and darkness, now you have new and old. Mm-hmm. What is that old way? The old creation? The old creation was much like our, <laughs> our current creation. <laughs> uh, people still think in many of the same ways, and one of those things that had to be done away with in the new creation, and this is very central to Jewish thought if you read about the day of the Lord. And uh, I'm thinking particularly, I want to say Isaiah 56, the idea that Gentiles had to be invited in. Mm -hmm. And at this point in history, the New Testament era, um, every page of your New Testament is during a time period in which the Jews don't like the Gentiles so much. I mean, they're the oppressive overlords. Yeah. And if new creation was breaking into the old creation— Part of that deal, you know, going back to the Old Testament, was that the Gentiles would be coming in also. Yeah. All creation would be reconciled to God. Unfortunately, a lot like Jonah, 
the Jews didn't want the Gentiles to be reconciled. <laughs> he would rather, um, Jonah would rather die, jump off a ship, get swallowed by a whale, and then at the end of the book, curse God. You know, he'd much rather die than see people come to the Lord, whereas in the the Christians had a lot of cultural backlash to their belief because it was a time in which racism and nationalism ruled the day. Yeah. And that's where that kind of, you have that conflict between the new and the old because if they're embracing this idea of new creation, then they need to be accepting of actually those who are oppressing them. Yeah. And bringing them into the fold of what we consider the church today. Yeah. It's not this idea that they were the ones with power. They were the ones who are inviting those who were with power to adopt a completely different way of life. Right. Well, in the Jewish way of thinking about that, um, they often believed that they would somehow have the privilege because they were with God the whole time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they believed you know, that they'd more or less rule and um, everybody would be coming to their God, so they'd be the insiders still. Yeah. And God's whole point by bringing the Gentiles in, this whole idea that began in the prophets really, maybe even before that if we want to even get more creative, but definitely in the prophets, the idea that the Gentiles were coming into the family. Uh, resonates into the Gospels. And then the Gospels in the New Testament, really the whole crux of the New Testament, if you had to boil it down to one thing, is God is inviting the Gentiles into the family. Yeah, That's essentially the message of the New Testament. And how is he doing that? He's doing that through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what the whole New Testament boils down to. So this idea of new creation... Um should that encourage us as Christians, do you think, like like you might have said before, to fight against the curse, to not embrace that, oh, this is the way it is. The world is awful. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, so I'm just going to sit back and watch it go to hell in a handbasket. Because that's not really good news. That's not really like, hey, yay, Jesus. That's more like, I hope I'm out of here soon because I will be with God then. Right. Um, so new creation is linked in so many ways to the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's linked to the Messiah's rule and reign and his coming. The day of the Lord is tied to these different ideas. They had kind of like, so imagine you have um, the left behind readers (laughs) listening. They have a pretty laid out idea of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and when. I've seen the charts. I've written those charts. (laughs) I have drawn those charts before. Yeah, I grew up um, afraid every time my mom left folded clothes on my bed. Oh my gosh, the rapture happened. (laughs) My mom left me behind. Yeah. No, uh, I did have a scare like that once, though. I think most charismatic kids grow up having a rapture scare at some point. I think there was a Twitter... um, Hashtag that was going around a while back saying the rapture, what, what, like, the times you were scared that you thought the rapture had happened. And it was like walking into your youth group and nobody's there. Yeah. I started calling everybody from my youth group. And of course, everybody I call, you know, in hindsight, everybody I'm calling, I'm hoping that they weren't raptured. <laughs> I hope you didn't believe in my Stay Jesus. Back with me. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start the tribulation force. Yeah. So, kind of like how sure they are about the sequence of events. Yeah. Um, which we are not endorsing <laughs> left behind way. novels uh, for anything other than fiction and kind of crappy fiction at that. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Or Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, Nicholas. <laughs> no, God. Okay, so, but what the point I am trying to make is that the Jews also had a very 
um, thought out, well thought out idea of what was going to happen when the Messiah came. And part of the reason that they wanted to kill Jesus is because he's not fitting into their mold. Yeah. You know, they believed that the Messiah would come and the resurrection of the dead would happen and that there would be this period where the Jews, the Jews would rule and they really wanted this violent day of the Lord to happen. They really wanted the Messiah to ride through with the armies of Israel and you know, on his white stallion with his yeah, sword exactly. cutting people's heads off. Throw off all the oppressors and then Jesus shows up to their temple um, and criticizes that the Gentiles haven't been welcome. Yeah. When he goes to cleanse the temple, I say he kicks out all the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's supposed to show up. That, that instance of Jesus riding into town on the donkey and being hailed as their king, that moment in the Jewish eschatology, their belief was that he was going to go in there and lead an army out of the temple to kick all the Romans out of town. They honestly believed that as Jesus was riding in, and instead he goes in and quotes from Isaiah 56 saying, you know, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Wait, all nations? Yeah, yeah all everybody, nations. including everybody. the Gentiles. Yeah. The oppressors. Right. Yeah. So he does the opposite. He's supposed to judge the Gentiles. Well, he does, but the Jews didn't like his answer. Yeah. And that's really what kicks off where they really start to hate him. <laughs> and where the Christians pick up is that if Jesus is saying it's time for the Gentiles to come in, then somehow the new creation has already begun. Yeah, because there'll be some who argue that the new creation doesn't come until Christ comes back again. The second coming is when every, he makes everything new and restores the way that it should be. And we're arguing here that that's already begun. And we need to be active participants in that. Yeah. Because that's what happened at the resurrection, or even before the resurrection, he was preaching that. Yeah, there's definitely a now and not yet to the narrative. Yeah. Uh, because if we look around the world, there is a lot of things that ought not be yeah. still happening. You know, we I haven't seen any wolves grazing with lambs lately. No, no, probably not. I might have a, a wolf who's pretty full. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea that we're almost, <clears throat> if you were to imagine, kind of like our audio tracks that I'm watching as we drag on time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when they overlap... We're kind of in that overlap phase where the old creation, yeah, it's still here. We see it every day. We see it on the news. We see it on our Facebook feeds. But the new creation began with Jesus. So there's this period of overlap. And God is patient. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thank God. Yeah. yeah. And but, it says, and don't, is it kind of also um, this idea when it says that we are his ambassadors, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that even though the kingdom itself was not fully revealed now— we are still to be act as citizens of that kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's hard. Yeah, I know it is. Because how does one living in the modern empire (laughs) behave (laughs) and live in a way that doesn't reflect empire? You know? Yeah, no, it's it's hard because the new creation is counterintuitive. Living as if we are part of that new creation or living in the way of new creation mm-hmm. is counterintuitive to the way that society, specifically Western society, teaches us that we need to live. We are to climb that ladder. We are to make as much money as possible mm-hmm. and all these things. Uh, and new creation is saying that we're not supposed to be grabbing at power because 
Christ has already conquered sin and death. Yeah. And we don't have to run through that rat race. But we like to, unfortunately, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, we crave power. We crave success. Um, and if we were to go back to that Isaiah passage, I think one thing that's really iconic of what humanity was longing for then and still longs for now is the idea it says that someone's not going to build a house and then someone else inhabit it. Yeah. You know, that's a cool image because if you think, you know, in America, we have not had others uh, unless you've had your home repossessed. Um, But, you know, we don't often work for something, work for a territory and then lose it. America doesn't lose territory. We buy it or take it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So we're not used to this idea of having nation after nation come in and wipe us out like the Israelites did. Yeah. So they constantly had this idea, if we build a city, well, another generation from now is just going to be overrun by whatever empire currently needs the Middle East. And that's the that's the reality that Jesus actually was living in because yeah. they were under the oppression of Rome at that mm-hmm. time. So the houses that they had built were lived in by the Roman people as well. Yep. Yep. And what's cool is another uh, Acts 2 thing is... Christians, early Christians in Acts 2, seem to believe that it's God's will for them to sell all their possessions (laughs) and give to everybody as had need. Well, there's that element of it, but then we also read about Christians that still have houses and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, I think that there was like a balancing of the scales that Christians that came in realized that if new creation had had taken place and already began bursting into the current present creation i think they realized that they needed to do something about the inequality i think they realized that they need to do something about the race wars that were happening Mm -hmm. i think they realized they needed to do something about the nationalism that was at large and times have not changed no i was realizing (laughs) that that i was beginning to sound really political and i did not intend to but that's the reality of it is they they believed that they needed to view the world fundamentally different. Yeah. They couldn't get caught up in all the petty um, wars and power struggles of their present age. They were working on the new creation. So, so we are arguing basically that this idea of new creation theology is not something that is in the distant future. Right. But that new creation theology is in the here and now. And like you said, there's that overlap because we can mm-hmm. look around and see that the world war is still going on. People mm-hmm. have not... Like, turn their plows and was uh, their my mind went blank. Swords, Swords in the plowshares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they haven't done that, even though they're. I mean, you have people who do that with their guns. I've heard of people melting those down and stuff like that. <laughs> that Take is, the ammo out before yeah. you do that. Um, <laughs> pew, pew. But there's this this weird tension where we are called to be living as if this is the full kingdom revealed, right. And that's where the tension between, and like you said, not to get political, that's where that tension is held specifically, I think, in the Western world. Yeah. I think we see that a lot in the parables of Jesus, too. He tells all these parables about the people taking care of things while God's away. Yeah. You know, we know as Christians that God's presence, you know, he says he's never going to leave us, that he's going to be in and through us for all eternity. Yeah. But... They, the Jews at that time had a very distinct view of where God was, and God was not in Jerusalem yeah. <laughs> when the Romans were there. They, like, yeah. God could be anywhere else in the world, but he wasn't in Jerusalem. 
because um, they were overrun and there was pagans in and in the temple. So God had almost lost yeah. in the in right. essence in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. God, God's nowhere to be found. So Jesus telling these parables about the master that's going to return that was a familiar idea to them. And I think the reason Jesus tells them, I think we can pull something away from that. I think the reason for us to pull something away is the same. We believe as Christians that one day God, Jesus is going to come again and that there will be a full restoration. Yeah. Right now, what we're talking about is the reality of God's new creation begun, not yet fully realized. Yeah, that's fair enough. So the idea for us is what are we going to be doing when the master returns? And have we been taking care of affairs? You know, if God started this movement of new creation and wants us to become gardeners in a sense and yeah. care for it, if he comes back and we're just living like the empire or like everyone else with no conviction of God's caring for God's created world, I think that we're going to be on the wrong side of those parables. And that's hard, I think, for the church to hear because we we always vilify everybody else. But for the church to hear something like, hey, take a look in the mirror, see if you're on the wrong side of these parables, is the church tending to creation? Right. Is Ooh. the church being active in reconciling people to each other and God, people to God and relationships? Are we active in that or are we just waiting for God to do it at a, another time? Yeah. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were patting themselves on the back, waiting for another time. You know, and they thought they were managing pretty well, and Jesus had words with them. <laughs> words. You know? That's a nice way to put it. He had yeah. words with them. He, what did he call them? The <laughs> Brood white, of vipers. Brood of vipers, yeah. I know. Whitewashed tombs. A dirty cup. <laughs> You're a sports guy. You can appreciate that. A imagery. dirty cup? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think that's a cup he was really referring oh, to. Oh, okay. Those weren't invented yet. Clay, no. Clay wouldn't withstand a soccer ball. <laughs> Clay and soccer. Football, yeah. sorry. Sorry, yeah, we call it football. You're, you're English. I'm British. You guys yeah. call it soccer, but it's football. Yep. Um, so kind of like just to recap before we wrap this section up, um, this whole idea of new creation, we would both argue or both agree on the right. fact that it's an overlap. It's in the here and now. Yeah. And that we as the Christians, as the church, need to be more active in that. And being active in that isn't necessarily attending church on Sundays. It's this idea of tending to the creation that God has given us and not falling in, not falling back the way that Cain did into being controlled by the curse or just saying, who cares? The world's going to hell. I can't do anything about it. Get what you can while you can. Can't, yeah, get what you can while you can. Amass all the riches, mm-hmm. and then someday somebody's going to send a nuclear bomb over or something. Somebody's got a bigger button than somebody else. Jesus I don't know. Is, yeah, Jesus is coming with the nuclear war. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think this is something hard for people to grasp? Not grasp. I think grasp is the wrong word, because I think that's hard to live in. Because the evidence is to the contrary. Yeah. I mean, what we see and what we feel um, directs us in an opposite direction from those beliefs. Um, I think that's why, well, for one, we really need a second podcast for this topic. I think we do. Because of that. Yeah. You know, because we could start in on a whole (laughs) other rabbit trail right here. But I would just like to kind of close with this idea. Um, And this is from G.K. Chesterton, actually. It's a really cool quote. It says, On the third day, 
the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways they realized the new wonder, but even they had hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and a new earth, and in a semblance of the gardener God walked in the garden again, in the cool not of the evening but of the dawn. And what I like about that is this idea that regardless of what we see around us, if we are Christians and if we believe that Christ was raised, that means something. That means a time has begun, that the world has fundamentally changed. Um, It's an intersection of heaven and earth in that moment where the miraculous happens, Christ is raised from the dead, not with his old body but with a new body, and it fulfills all these Jewish ideas of the resurrection taking place. And if we are Christians carrying on the tradition of Christianity— we need to be about new creation. And if we don't know what that means or what it looks like, we have some reading to do. Um, we have more podcasts to listen to. Yeah. Better ones than ours. You Probably know? better than ours, yeah. yeah, for the three people that have listened to this one. <laughs> but we have to do something. Yeah. The, the whole point of Christianity is that we can't just remain as we are. Mm-hmm. We have to be born into something new. And if we are anything like what Paul says, a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, then we need to at least entertain the idea that God's doing something new here and now. Because he used that in the here and now context. It wasn't exactly. the old will pass away later yeah. on and then the new will come. The old has passed, the new has come. Yep. The new is here. It's here. Yeah. So I think we need to talk about that in another podcast. Like episode two. Episode two. So what were you drinking? I, tonight, yes, we are drinking. We are drinking. Out there. <laughs> it's beers and Bible. So to live up to our name, we have beers. I'm drinking New Holland Brewing Lost Dune. Um, it's a golden ale with blueberries and coriander. It's pretty tasty. I like beers with coriander. I don't know why. I've got a taste for it, I guess. And um, It's probably better in the spring. I probably should have bought a porter, but it is good. I would recommend it, especially if you're like a fan of Oberon or the slightly fruit-infused beers. Yeah. Really good. Well, talking about fruit-infused beers... I have one of my favorites, Shorts Brew Soft Parade. Yeah. Um, it's a high-gravity ale fermented with blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, and blackberries. Um, good, smooth, delicious. And mm-hmm. if you guys want us to drink a specific kind of beer, mail it to us. Yeah. yeah. We, are, we are open to endorsements of the beer variety. Yeah, not Bible <laughs> translations, but beer definitely. We'll, we'll, we'll tackle those. Oh, um, speaking of Bible translations, we should probably get it out there that we're both fans of the ESV. Yes, we're both fans so of we're hipsters. Pa- yeah, the pa- <laughs> Calvinist hipsters. Calvinist. No, actually, oh, we're not Calvinist. <laughs> Furthest um, thing from. But no, we both read the ESV um, because what I like about it is it is pretty close to the word order and getting at the heart of what is trying to be communicated. I'd say the majority of the time. I don't have anything against the King James, but I don't think anybody would listen to us read the King James. I'd be surprised. Maybe we'll get hate mail from King James people. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. We don't give them our mailing address. I hope that we get any mail. Any feedback is good feedback for now. We have thick skin. Tell us if we're dorks. Yes, if we are, because we are for one. So Right. So So we'll just keep rubbing it in. We'll sign off with that. Until the next time. Next time. All right. Bye, guys.